0: Lehi, in talking to his son Jacob, makes an interesting statement. In talking about people that make choices in life, he says that men are sufficiently instructed that they can know good from evil. That's a good question. Are they really? Do we know enough? Have we been instructed enough to make an exact choice between good and evil? Do we know both? Or are we sometimes heavily enticed by one or the other? If that's the case, how free is our free agency. As we talk about it today, we're going to find that Lehi explained things to a certain point, but then a generation later, his son Jacob is going to have more light and more knowledge as the gospel continues to be restored to these ancient Nephites. Join us today for a fascinating discussion about free agency and hell and how long someone might stay in hell to, before they could come out and enjoy all the blessings of eternal life. Welcome to the Hidden Treasures podcast, where we explore the rich doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Drawing on both inspired teachings and the latest research, we examine closely the revealed scriptures of the Restoration. Of course, opinions expressed do not constitute official pronouncements of the church or its leaders. These classes are recorded live and taught by Kevin Hinckley. Thank you for taking a moment to subscribe and leave us a comment. And now, on to today's class. And away we go. Uh, but also I noticed that on the podcast, as I, as I post the podcast, we have about another 40 or 50 listening in on podcast. Uh, although but my, my podcast numbers show kind of where they're listening from. The majority are from Texas. Uh, but we've got listeners now in uh, Spain, in England, in Africa, and in Russia. So, it just shows you where they're listening in on, on uh, kind of the, the World Wide Web podcast. So, welcome to everybody all over the, the world as you're listening into our little thing from Plano, Texas that kind of gets out there a little bit. Okay, uh, I want to start with that uh, great uh, bastion of knowledge uh, today, uh, Dr. Phil. <laughs> okay so one of those things that i found myself uh spending probably more time than i really should uh, listening on uh, youtube videos uh, of uh, dr phil catfishes for those you don't know a catfish is generally an older uh, man or a woman who is completely in love with their friend that is stuck in africa and can't get out and needs money Oh. Uh. and they have spent anywhere from a couple of thousand to over a million dollars trying to help their friend that they are now in love with that they see all these pictures where they're stuck and they just need to get home to you darling because I love you so much and uh, w- w- we, will, we, will be, we will be friend okay <laughs> and, and what's, what's interesting for me about that is that when, when somebody is in the process of saying i've never met them they they can't show a video because the government won't let them or, or because their phone is broken or something there's like this long string of excuses why they can't send a video or they can't get out of the country or something but i love you darling i want to be with you please send twenty thousand, and 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 you just get uh and and pr- it's primarily women more than men, although there are men certainly doing this. But they're sending money and sending money and sending money. And in some cases, if you listen to them, uh, they are kind of in love with the idea of being in love. They're lonely, and this person in there pr- professes that they love them. They show them all these pictures. And the funny thing is, is that even when when they bring them in uh, and they hook up with the guy that they think they've been connecting with or they actually bring them in studio and sit them next to them and they say, I've never talked to you, someone stole my identity, that's my picture, but it's not me, Uh, I've never been to Africa. Uh, And in some cases they go through all of this and their family and friends and everybody are telling them it's a scam, you're being being hoodwinked here. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they get done with the Dr. Phil show, go right out and immediately call them back. And there's some other excuse that they want to believe, and they just get caught up in these in these scams, uh, and it's hard. And you just get that that look in her when she suddenly realizes just how far she's been taken. Uh, and they have maybe an inheritance from some insurance money or something like that, and they just keep sending money off, and and they're not listening to anybody else. Okay, so I'm I'm always fascinated by that because it's amazing just sometimes even how transparent the scam is and people are still willing to get taken Mm -hmm. for the idea i think of being in love or finally not being lonely or there's some things we're going to talk about the enticing of the the evil one in just a second but um you ever watch any of that sad to watch yeah Several
1: years ago, we got a call from Mexico. Hi, Grandma. I made, what, $500? Well, the first time, the
0: governor not not
1: ask questions. Yes.
2: And so you send
0: the money, thinking it was your grandson. Yeah. <laughs> a few years ago, people started getting uh, emails from me saying, yeah, I'm stuck in Nigeria. Could you please send money? Mm. Uh, I had a guy text me the other day, and he said... Uh, Hi Andrew, Are you ready to meet this week? And I, and I said, uh, sorry, wrong number. Are you sure? Okay. Wow, you seem nice. Uh, what, what's your real name? And I thought well, here we go. So then, not long after that, I got another one. Hi Mike, do you do you make do you make cars perfect? <laughs> I have a transmission problem, and I said. Yes, I make them almost perfect. <laughs> can, we bring, can we bring, yeah. I said, Tuesday at, at two would be just fine. And, and they said, are you sure this is the right number? Oh, yes, two o'clock is fine. I, I make them almost perfect. <laughs> I think this is wrong number. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm going to outscam you. Yeah. Years ago, you know the name before it was Ernst
2: was
0: Yes. Waldebeezer. Very German
2: name, hard to spell, hard to pronounce when you see it. And my first got on Facebook. I got an email or a message saying that uh, I'm a Walbeiser and I'm stuck in London and blah blah blah. And all the Walbeisers who were on Facebook got well. My daughter and I, she took care of it, but we were all laughing. They don't
3: know those Walbeisers very well.
2: They're all from Midwestern German
0: Yeah. <laughs> First of all, they, most of them don't want to go
2: anywhere, and if they were, that trip would be planned, and there's no way they'd be stuck <laughs> in London without money. We,
0: you know, that's true. They, they were organized, and so, anyway, uh, it, this is very sad, and I'm always amazed at people who even consider... Getting a yeah, place. although I, I do I do get there's something on the other side here. I, I just kind of finished with this. I did get another one last week. I don't know, maybe because... I I post some stuff out there and this one says I am from Nigeria I'm a return missionary I am LDS too he shows me pictures of of missionary pictures and him and his stuff like that great nice to meet you would you adopt me (laughs) please adopt me Uh, I said no I'm not in the habit of adopting uh, strangers off the internet no please adopt me (laughs) no please you know (sighs) It's amazing that the so yeah. I got
4: a uh, phone call and he said, uh, "This is your oldest grandson."
0: Oh, said the grandson's scam.
2: Oh, yes,
4: uh, Joseph, and he went on talking about Joseph. Now James is my oldest grandson. <laughs> oh, good job. <laughs> and he uh, they said send it to oh. Uh, uh, I can't think what the... Bank of Scotland? Of ...Washington was. And I said, oh, I have a, a cousin in Washington, in that town. Oh, well... Uh, uh, I moved. <laughs> 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 ah,
0: okay. Yes. So, so let's... Start. Yeah, Brent? Before you
3: get of types of scams, I was a bishop and only one son in Sackness so was one of the deacons came up on and said, Bishop Hale, there's somebody out in the hall, I need to see you right now. And the kid was worried. And so I slipped off the stand and Trans and walked in. And I figured it had been at least six months that he'd seen either a razor or a bathtub. Wow. And he says, I need help. I said, well, I might be able to help you. We're in the middle of our service, wait till after the service. After the service, I bring him in the office. And his hard luck story was, I'm from Ohio and my mom out in Arizona died and I, I, Took the bus to Arizona to the funeral, and she had an old car. And I'm driving home, and I don't have gas to get home. Can you help me? And I said, I can do that. How far can you go on a tank of gas? And he told me, I said, Okay, you need to be gassed up probably in uh, Springfield, Missouri, again in St. Louis, Indianapolis. i to home, right? Yep, that'll, that'll do it. And I said, That's fine. I have friends in those three cities. I'll call <laughs> to them up. I'll have them meet you and fill you up with gas. And when I told him that, he got mad and left. <laughs>
0: ah okay so so here here's the here's the thing guys exactly um so the question for me is always and, and maybe it comes partly out of the professional work that i do counseling but the question is always why why did i do that or why do they do why did they do that um You ever ask yourself that one? Okay, what was I thinking? (laughs) How come come I did that? Okay. Don't we know better? Are we smarter than this? I should know better. Well, and then we run into, uh, this was kind of interesting. We're gonna kind of talk about this a little bit today. Then I've got Lehi talking to Jacob, and he says, men and women are instructed sufficiently that they know good from evil. Are they? Because <laughs> I think that's going to be the question. And, what, and exactly, what is he thinking? So, so when we talk about agency, we're going to talk about today how free is really free. How much agency do we really have and what impinges on our agency?
5: So that instructing sufficiently that they know good from evil, I think about, you know, when I go down to the street corner and there's
0: somebody begging there. Yeah. I
5: know whether or not I'm behaving good or evil. I don't know whether or not the person begging is behaving good or evil, and that's not necessarily a need that I have in order to know that.
0: Sure. I may
5: give something and it may be ill-gotten for that person because they're not really in need, but that's
0: not my issue. No, it isn't. So, our job is to be charitable, right?
5: Our job is to be good before the Lord. That's right. And not to worry about other people so much.
0: But how about those that do evil? How how free are they? How much knowledge, how much understanding do they have when they're committing the acts that they are? Yeah, Roz?
1: Elder Maxwell's book, all this initial the experience or whatever. The uh-huh. First chapter is hard for me because he talks about mm-hmm. God, God knows. God what knows. What
0: we're yeah, speak up just a little bit.
1: God knows what we're going to do, but yet we have free agency. <clears throat> and I still kind of have a hard time.
0: Right. Okay. Hang, hang on to that idea because I want to talk about how free is free. How much agency do we really have and how much allowance does the Lord make for the fact that some, there are a lot of factors that I think impinge, uh, he, the, the, the Book of Mormon word is going to be entice, uh, on the decisions that we make and the choices that we make. How free is free. Well, uh, but
1: the rest of that for me is if he knows what we're going to do, then that sounds like we're almost predestined to do
0: That's what right. So part of that goes does he how much does he really know does he know the general arc or does he know every single detail and i think we have been culturally kind of taught and believed he knows absolutely every single thing right down to the minutia right he knows the fall of the sparrow which, mean, which then leads a lot of people then out of the church sometimes about saying, if he knew that I was going to be attacked or he knew I was going to be robbed or he, he knew that my husband was going to leave me, if he knew that, how come he gave me inspiration to do it? So if he knows, then this is a cruel God. If he knows absolutely every single minute detail
1: predisposed to do these evil things, and how do I
0: have a chance? That's right. Then I end up being, in some ways, a little bit more of a puppet, right? So you, you guys are asking the right questions, and I, we're not going to necessarily have all the answers. I, so, sometimes the idea of the scriptures is not to resolve everything; it's to get you thinking, and and to ask. In your particular case, what do you think? Well, what the questions we're asking aren't new, obviously, um, and. But some of our, the way that we look at free agency and agency and choices and decision-making and all of those kind of things are rooted, guys, in the Middle Ages. <laughs> there, there is some roots that go way back there, okay? So even people like uh, Martin Luther, okay? What did Martin Luther think about free will or agency? Here, here's what he says. God foresees, think about this, Roz. God foresees, determines, and actually does all things by his unchangeable, eternal, and infallible will. By this thunderbolt, the whole idea of free will is smitten down and ground to powder. Okay? Now, we really don't have free will because God knows everything. God does everything. God affects everything. And so because of that, you really don't have free will free agency um, and and I'm gonna use free agency and I know a lot of times you say "Well, it's not free agency it's not free it's gonna cost you something it's just agency okay yes but today I want to use the word free agency because I think that's how we culturally see it okay does that make sense okay now uh, Luther by his own uh, declaration was a big fan of, of Calvin and here how, here's how John Calvin put it, taking it to the utmost thing. And since the infants bring from the room and from the womb from the room, yes, since in, even infants bring from the womb a nature that is odious and abominable to God, we are powerless to choose salvation. It's a very deterministic, uh, self-determined God, and that and that's why we we just don't have agency really. It's a, it's a smokescreen. God knows what he's doing, God knows who he's, gonna, who he's going to exalt, and he knows who he's going to damn, and he will let them be born and then damn them. And even infants are born with this terrible nature to begin with. Okay, uh, And we say, no, we don't believe that. Well, look at how we... Let's keep going. So... So, as we dive into it, one, one of the reasons why I want to kind of circle back to this a little bit, because I know we've talked about this a couple of times, but I, ha- I always have this concern when, when we are studying and reading the Book of Mormon. So let's, let's remind ourselves for just a second of what the Book of Mormon is. It is the keystone of our religion. It contains the gospel of Jesus Christ, the knowledge that we will be reunited with our heavenly family through death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it does contain the gospel. Humble obedience to the commandments schools us in the godly qualities of humility, love, and mercy and invite the transforming power of the Savior. Does that make sense? The purpose of the commandments is to teaches how to love not to earn heaven and as it teaches us how to love then, then our natures become such through obedience and things like that that the Savior can then transform us through his reuniting power and make us ability to live in the, in the presence of God. Yeah.
5: So that statement suggests that we only learn through obedience and I think that's a
0: problem. I think so too. I think that
5: we clearly learn through disobedience just as well, but that's the whole point. We
0: got hold, hold, hold on to that. Hold on to that. That's where we're going. That's exactly where we're going. Okay. Um, yeah, because ultimately, in order to learn that, we're going to have to stop disobeying and obeying. But the but the educative experiences happen on both sides of the obedience disobedience thing. Yeah. I think humble is an
2: important part of that. Humble obedience. Some people obey, do things because that's what they were taught to do.
0: Tradition, that they, they obey out of tradition.
2: What comes to mind when I read, this is a little bit off, but I've heard of stories of people who are upset that a family member after many years of not living in the gospel is able to come back, and they all are able to, and they go to the temple and they turn their lives around. And then that other person will say, what was the, I what
0: was the purpose? Of
2: that's not humble obedience.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, 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 these are the six o'clockers at the vineyard, mm-hmm. right? I worked in the in the hot sun all day long, and they got the same wage at four o'clock as I got at six a.m. It's not fair. And it isn't.
2: And mercy, if, it's to, if we're supposed to school us in humility, mm-hmm. love, and uh, mercy, mercy would be thrilled. That
0: somebody that. Yes, the, the father of the prodigal son, mm-hmm. but but the, again, the six o'clockers and those people are the older son of the prodigal son. Going, wait a minute! I was I was here the whole time, and he gets the dinner. You never did this for me, okay, and and but that but the mercy is out of there. So you wonder well then why were you obeying? Because I'm going to get something. It's it's transactional. I'm putting money in the bank that I can draw it out with. Like.
4: That's what I was going to
0: bring up—the prodigal son. Oh, prodigal son—same story. Yeah, uh, one day I'll finish writing my book on the prodigal son. I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that? A pair notes. Yes, we will. It'll be good. First-person account. <clears throat> the Book of Mormon also shows how inspired prophets had varying degrees of understanding either because of their own level of understanding or because of the amount of light their people were ready to receive. Okay? And and this has always been my fear as we really kind of deep dive into the Book of Mormon. Make sure you read the Book of Mormon. Make sure you read the Book of Mormon. If you're not reading the thing in context, you're going to read stuff that leads you to believe that there's not a lot of agency or that obedience is sending you to hell with no with no ending okay and we're going to talk about that we're kind of re- I, want, I want to really kind of go down that hole because we need to understand I'm going to show you today the difference between Lehi and Jacob talking about the same topic you are to see a generation later how additional light came to Jacob that Lehi either didn't have or didn't talk about because there's a difference between what Jacob has is talking about and Lehi did not. Okay, that, that's going to be that break. Okay, yeah? And
5: I love the real time transitions like Mormon has when he's writing to his son Moroni and he says, I heard you had a problem. And last night I talked to the angel and the angel yeah. gave the answer. You know,
0: like, Isn't that great? Yeah. And Jacob's going to do the same thing in just a second. Again, hold on to that. Okay? All right. So. Nowhere is this ongoing revelation, the growth in their knowledge and understanding from the beginning of the book. Uh, well, sort of. From the beginning of the book, they learn, and then there's a Nephite apostasy where they lose it, and then they got to relearn it again. It, it's kind of crazy. So there's a gap between Jacob and Messiah but, and King Benjamin. But let, let, let's just talk about Lehi and... Jacob, for a sec, okay. So there's a difference in the teachings between hell and the spirit world, and who goes there and who doesn't. Okay. All right. So let's do this. We got here. I'm going to back up. So let's go to Second Nephi two. So, I want to show you, I want to begin with Lehi's understanding. Step over here. Let's see if we can't expand that. Is that better? Okay. so and, and just before he dies remember Lehi is going to have these conversations with his sons and he's giving patriarchal blessings and all that kind of stuff and thou knowest the Jacob thou knowest the greatness of God and he shall consecrate thy afflictions for thy gain they will learn something from those experiences uh, wherefore I know that thou art redeemed because of thy righteousness and that's when we get these statements verse 4 Uh, yeah verse 4 thou hast beheld in thy youth his glory Uh, the spirit is the same yesterday today and forever the way is prepared for the fall of man and salvation is free Okay, and men are instructed sufficiently that they know good from evil and the question is are they Jacob was but are they And the law is given unto man. uh, And and in this context, you're going to see that Lehi was a very Old Testament prophet. So when he says law, he's primarily thinking law of Moses, right? Okay. He's going to be in that context. The law is given unto man, and by the law, no flesh is justified. You're either kosher or not. It's a pretty black and white. You're either doing it or not. Okay? And by the law, men are cut off. You're not kosher, therefore you're out of here. Uh, six, therefore redemption cometh in and through the holy Messiah. Messiah is a very Old Testament phrase and he is full of grace and truth. Okay? But this Messiah, according to his understanding from the plates, um, eight, Therefore, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth. We've got to teach them. We've got to tell them, okay, this is the case, that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits, mercy, and grace of the Holy Messiah. Right? Can any unclean thing dwell with God? No. This can't happen. Right? So he's, he's dead on. And no flesh can dwell, save it be through the merits, mercy, and grace of who? We're, we're going to be in, there with uh, the Father because of the grace and mercy of God. Because of this, the Messiah, right? Not through our own, lest any man boast, okay? All right. And he's going to lay down his life according to the flesh, okay? And then we get to this phrase. And I think we've had a tendency to misunderstand this phrase a lot. If I'm going to say to you, there must needs be opposition in all things, we tend to think what? How are you going to define there's opposition in all things?
4: Temptation.
0: There's temptation. Versus
4: inspiration.
0: Temptation versus inspiration. You're, you're a step ahead. Generally, when we talk about opposition, we usually talk about good and evil and trial and blessings. Okay. In other words, somebody's going through, they're grieving, they're going through a loss, and we go, well, there needs to be opposition in all things. You need to have bad experience to have good experiences.
6: There's a, an Eastern concept, though, that all things are defined by opposites. And, uh, and so all, everything falls on a continuum, so to speak. And so and as you understand the ends, you name the continuum, and then you are above it.
0: Abs- yeah and, and Joseph said by by, prove, by proving contraries the truth is made manifest yeah, yeah. so in other words you need the opposition to be able to understand something and boy does that become important here in Jesus.
6: that's exactly what Eve says on the temple you know when she's saying if it hadn't been for our transgression
0: yeah e- Eve's great psalm we're going we're to touch on that in a sec too okay so when we talk about uh, there needs to be opposition and that means that uh, in order to have in order to have choice, we need to have what options. If I'm going to have agency, is it, a, is it an election if you only have one candidate? You no, know, that, that you know that. So, in other words, and is it an election if you have two candidates and one of them is, is a grown adult and the other is a two-year-old? In order to have agency, you have to have two viable options. Two viable. Or more. Or more, right? But the other options have to be decent options. Okay? We're going we're gonna to talk about how the fruit of the one tree was sweet, and the other one was bitter, but when Eve eats the bitter fruit... How does it taste? It is delicious to the taste. It's really desirable for food. Okay? If she had eaten the fruit, the, the bitter fruit, and it had truly been bitter, she'd go, ah, ah, ah. You know, if, it, if she ate it and it tastes like Brussels sprouts, she'd go, No.
2: In my opinion.
0: Okay? Uh, but it was it was... This fruit would be good and that fruit would be... I have a choice, I have a proper choice between... When did she find out that the fruit was bitter? When when
2: she was picked out of the garden.
0: Okay, even then, I mean, she... So so now, uh, I take it, it was delicious and desirable and now we're separated from God. and, And... But then there were times she thought it was sweet. Well, this earth life is hard, but now I have a child. And he will be one. I received a child. Remember her talking about when Cain is born to her. Even though we know we had ones earlier. Okay, Cain is born to her, and she goes. Now I have a a man from God. That's sweet. When does it become bitter? When he he turned 13. (laughs) No. (laughs) At some point, when the wheels start going off the truck here. Okay, suddenly what she thought was sweet turns out to be bitter, but you don't always know what's bitter until experience down the road. Until it ripens. Until it ripens, or doesn't ripen, right? right? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. so, but but at that moment there are two viable choices, and her viable choices were, uh, first of all, she could have involved Adam in it, but, you know, if, if, the, if the temple drama is anywhere close, he's not necessarily making this decision. But for Eve, she's saying, I can either enjoy where I am here or I can have kids and move forward. And as, the more I understand that, although, you know, Lucifer is saying, well, you do, your eyes aren't yet open. You don't yet have what? Knowledge. He's saying you haven't been sufficiently educated yet to make proper choices
6: the hebrew word that translates to knowledge though really is experience yes and so she needs the experience.
0: she had not yet had experiences you don't you don't yet have the experiences to know okay um and and so this this choice there needs to be opposition this means there needs to be viable choices on either side in all things um, and so the, the creation was all set up. He's trying to tell us uh, for your learning. He's created all things, heaven, earth, and then and then this, and all things that in them are both things to. And he's going to make this separation, right? Things that act independently, and those that are acted upon. Okay. Now, how free is free? How many of us in this life can say we freely make choices without any forces acting on us whatsoever?
6: <laughs> no
0: one. one way or the other. But we do have the ability to learn. We do have the ability to learn by knowledge, by experience. experience. Yeah. Okay, so, so here's the problem. Men are sufficiently educated. Well, they're, how are they? Let's go back. So men have been sufficiently educated; they're sufficient, instructed sufficiently that they know good from evil. How did that happen?
6: We had the Spirit of Christ.
0: Not, not there yet. Yeah. Go now ahead.
5: That's the same question. Did Adam and Eve have the light of Christ? We're the light of Christ is in everything. Right. Did they have it in the garden of Eden or after they picked the fruit?
0: Well, they'd been living; with, they'd been walking with God, right? So they have a certain amount of light. What, what are they missing?
6: Knowledge. Experience.
0: Thank you. They're missing experience. So they weren't sufficiently educated. Yes. They would be sufficiently educated when?
1: After. They-
0: after, they've, after they've had experiences, right? Now, he isn't necessarily saying that, and that might be what he meant, but that's not what we read. Every, everybody should just know better. And they don't until they've had experiences. Yeah. Well, I think
5: the mental trap here is we think that there is a standard of good and evil that all people should know
0: equally. Yes. And that is yes. Because, yes. Well,
5: the standard that we're held accountable to is that which the Lord has given us in terms of revelation
0: right. and confirmation by the Spirit as far as what truth is.
5: So if we only have a little bit of truth, a little bit of light and knowledge, that's all we're required to be obedient
0: to. Yeah, we got that. May have received more, may have a greater
5: requirement to be obedient.
0: Yeah. And it's just, it's just not apples and. Leaves. No, it's not apples. So we're going to say men are instructed sufficiently to know good from evil. The average, the average, uh, uh, like great grandson of Lehi, uh, through Laman and Lemuel, who's who's picking up a sword to go fight the Nephites. Was he sufficiently educated in good and evil? No. No. All he got was the traditions of his fathers and what he was told, and that these people are the bad guys. They stole our, our right to rule and all that kind of stuff. Okay? Th- that's all they knew. They weren't sufficiently educated.
6: Does empathy, is, is there no natural place for that? Is it only something that we're educated to? Or is it something that we are born with, like the
0: Ah, Okay, that's a good question. How much were we born to? Okay, all right, now. So, there's the dilemma, right? These people are doing bad things. They weren't sufficiently educated. How can God hold them accountable when the line is, are you going to do good or evil, and the good go to heaven, and the bad people go to hell? Okay? Ah, okay, so this is where this ends. And if you just leave it with that, there's a question. But look at what happens a generation later, when Jacob is going to give at least a two-day talk that we know of, and it's going to come in 2 Nephi 9 and 10. So here comes a generation, knowledge-wise. Uh, so let's go to 9 because he's gonna give a similar talk, but he seems to have a little bit more understanding, okay? Yep, this thing of evil is out there and people end up doing bad things, darn it. Um, But then he says, uh, if we follow that bad stuff, verse nine, 2 Nephi 9, nine, our spirits must have become like unto Satan We become devils, angels to a devil, to be shut out from the presence of God, to remain with the Father of lies in misery, like unto himself, yea, that being who beguiled our first... Well, that sounds awful. But then he adds one more thing here that, that should start to give us a little bit of a pause. Who transformeth himself nigh unto an angel of light, and stirreth up the children of men, Unto secret combinations. Do we know two? See how well you know your church history. There are two experiences that I know of. In our church. Recent church history. Where the devil transformed himself into an angel of light. Anybody know those? First of all Joseph Smith describes in section 128. He talked about how uh, how the devil transformed himself into an angel of light and that Michael had to come and detect it and say to them, this ain't the real thing. Isn't that a great story? <laughs> we don't have it. <laughs> Other than Joseph Smith's description of that there was a moment for Joseph and Oliver when, the, when Satan... Uh, Showed up as an angel of light. Really, really hard, isn't it? To know the difference between good and evil when you've got an angel of light standing in front of you who says, Do this. Well, that's pretty deceptive. Wow. Okay. You know the second one? Four days after the death of, well, not four, oh. sooner after that, after the death of the prophet Joseph, Sidney Rigdon shows up in town. And he said, I knew exactly on that day, June 27th, that Joseph had been killed. How did he know? An angel told him. An angel comes and says, Joseph was killed. He took the keys with him. You need to go take uh, control of the church. Get yourself out to Nauvoo. Joseph took the keys. It's on you now. Okay. (laughs) Out comes Sidney Rigdon. He knew that day, even Brigham Young and uh, Heber C. Kimball felt dark that day but they wouldn't know for another week that Joseph had been killed until they read it in the newspapers. Sidney knew that day and he could track back to that day. That's why he had a weak head start on Brigham Young and almost pulled off uh, heading the church in the wrong direction because he had a weak head start to work with the saints in Nauvoo before, Joseph and, or before Brigham and the Twelve showed up. So He's pretty good. Okay, well, that would make it really hard. Now that's big time enticing. How do you know which way to go? Well, a lot of people don't. <laughs> okay, so look at what Jacob now adds that his father had not added. Either by knowledge, uh, more lightened knowledge. Okay, because here's what he's now going to say. And we get to verse 10. Oh, the goodness of God who prepareth a way for what? Escape. our escape from the grasp of this awful monster yea that monster death and hell which I call the death of the, the, the body and the death of the spirit uh, twelve and this death of which I have spoken that's the spiritual death is hell and so, so when people do bad stuff he says yeah like dad says they go to hell they can't abide the glory of God they, they're going to hell Ah, but what happens now? One additional piece here that becomes so critical. Okay, yeah. They go to hell. Wherefore, death and hell must do what? Deliver up their dead, and hell must deliver up its captive spirits, and the grave must deliver up its captive bodies, and the bodies and spirits will be restored to one another. How'd that happen? By the power and resurrection of the Holy One of Israel. Yes, if they do bad stuff, they go to hell. But like C.S. Lewis said, hell is locked from the inside. And, and George MacDonald said, one day hell will be empty. Well, that would, that would be news to John Calvin and Luther and those guys. Okay, And, and it might have been a surprise to Lehi. I don't know. He j- he's not telling us one way or the other. He might have known. He just did not saying it. But it, it was up to Jacob a generation later to go yeah, bad people kind of go to hell, but they don't stay there. The resurrection of this holy Messiah brings them out of hell and hell has an escape. Okay? And? So he's going to go, so they're going to be restored. Right? Yeah. yeah? It
5: seems like he's defining hell as the spiritual death, right? He does. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I, help me out here. I was thinking that there be some people who eventually suffered spiritual death defined as separation from God.
0: For a period of time. I mean, I, we know those that followed Satan in the pre-existence will be there, but he's saying everybody. Okay? No, so th- th- there's, there's not one person on this earth that would go to hell, hell that doesn't end up in a kingdom of glory. He's he's bringing them back, right? And he's going to say because he's going to talk about every man, uh, and the spirit and the body is restored to itself. All men become all men become incorruptible and immortal, or living souls. And then at that point, by the knowledge and understanding now in the spirit world, they are sufficiently instructed by their own experience. But if I take one of us, and and, and as you just sit here, um, so, um, Roz, if I pick on you for a sec, here here's here's Roz. She's had this she's had this great life and everything. And someday I ask her about Roger Staubach, and she just had these great stories, right? But as you sit here today, think about all of the all of the things that it, genetically for you uh, are. Guide and direct what you do, how long you live, all those kind of things that impact on what your life looks like. The choices that you made, where you live, how you live, why you go to church every day, okay? Your propensity for either depression or anxiety or phobias or addictions or stuff, that's all kind of somewhere in our DNA. And we know more and more and more about how impacted we are by our physical condition. All of those things have an impact, have an enticing on us. Now, if you had, so, so if you had grown up instead, where did you grow up? Farmington, New Mexico. In Farmington, New Mexico. And you survived it.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> what would happen if you'd have grown up in Harlem?
1: I may still be there.
0: <laughs> you might still be there because that would shape What you think, how you think, how you do it, what you think your choices are, what you think your range of choices are, the people you're surrounded by, the traditions that you believe, the narratives that you follow.
1: Well, in fact, working with a lot of athletes, so you came from that environment, you always wonder how come they, out of their brothers or sisters, are the one who did what it took to get out and did something different do something different or how growing up with a bishop's family one out
0: of six kids decided to go to the yeah yeah and you just never know the athletes would be a good example well the last times i was in ross's office she goes oh moose johnson come in here for a minute <laughs> <laughs> hi this is kevin <laughs> <laughs> okay, but but you're right. They have, but they were shaped by those forces that guide and direct in the belief that they could do what they do, and genetics in terms of athletic ability that maybe some of their friends didn't have. That guided their choices. Think about all the things that come together to guide our choices. I have a girlfriend who
4: uh, joined the church, but she was a firm believer. Now she was raised by a pair of alcoholics and uh there we go she, she was determined there was no satan and up till about 2 to 3 months before she died she insisted there was no satan and then she told me no i'm wrong there is a satan but he's a good guy uh, he uh hmm. I, he knew that there had to be adversity in all things. So he stepped up and, and did
0: the so noble he thing, stepped huh?
4: Stepped up and did the noble thing.
0: Well, well, see, and again, so you get this narrative, and again, all of these narratives impact on our choices, right? So, in a sense, how free is free? How free are we? Well, we are enticed. The, script, the book of Mormon says, by one side or the other, and it will lead us to make choices. And some of them are healthy, and we learn from them. Sometimes we don't learn from them because maybe in our growing up, we didn't think that we were supposed to learn from them. We're just stuck. Mm-hmm. And that's part of, and, and so 14. Yeah, this sounds fun. Wherefore, when we get there, we shall have a perfect knowledge of all our guilt. Yikes. And our uncleanliness and our nakedness and righteousness will have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyment, okay? So if you're righteous and you make the right choices, you get to sit in heaven feeling good about your decision-making. And if you're in hell, you go, man, was I stupid and this is awful and, you know, and I'm sitting in the middle of flames.
4: I understand there's a very good... uh, What? What? That's the place to go for a barbecue.
0: It would be a great place for a barbecue, right? Yeah. Okay. Except that all the really good barbecue people are in the other place. Just, just... And where are you going to get your what? Your meat. Well, that's a good question. So that, that, that means that, that the steaks and the ribs and everything must be in the other place as well. I
2: don't want the barbecue...
0: Yeah, yeah, we're not... (laughs) Yeah. Go down that road. Okay. So, but he's going to say this over and over. Yes, I understand what my dad said. All of this stuff, that sounds awful. and, And the natural consequence of making bad choices is to put us as far away from God as possible. Just has to be there. But, but, oh, the greatness of the mercy of our God. Verse 19. The Holy One of Israel, for he delivereth his saints from that awful monster, the devil, and death, and hell, and that lake, and fire, and brimstone, which on one side, he says, is endless torment. But then he says, we're going to be delivered from endless torment, which would have been a bit of a conundrum. How can it be endless if we get out? (laughs) And it doesn't get answered until when? d and 19, when Martin Harris doesn't want to pay for the plates, and the, and the production of the Book of Mormon, and we get section 19, and he says, let me tell you what endless torment is. It's God's punishment. Endless is my name. It doesn't get defined here, but it does get defined in 1829. It means, it means God's torment, which is, you're going to suffer some natural stuff, you have to remember your sins, but I'm going to come get you, and there will you'll, there'll be an escape here. Yeah? What do you think about people
2: who seem to enjoy the misery they're in? Because they may be something that is not their fault. Circumstances have caused things to their family, caused things to them, and they have, really have not, you cannot say that they sinned. It was just circumstances. But yet, if you try to talk to them, have you considered doing this? Have you considered? And every time they shoot it down, they've got a reason. They've
0: got a reason why they have to stay stuck. And some people seem to glory in the fact that they are. Sometimes sometimes people get caught in victimhood. Mm -hmm. I'm so used to being a victim, I don't know how to not be a victim. And I know how victimhood works, and how my life works, and, and how people respond to me when I'm a victim, but take me out of victimhood, and I don't know what to do.
2: Because that's the rut
0: Because that's the rut, and that's all they know. They have not been sufficiently educated to know what it might feel like on the other side of that yet.
2: It seems to me that Satan is very smart and knows how to find those kinds of people. I'm not blaming them. But he knows there are certain people that will be in a sort same sort of situation. We'll find a
0: way out. Yeah. So we'll work on it. Yeah, and that's why I, so, so you, you take two people and they're running through a struggle, and again, one of them and this has been my conundrum as a, as a therapist, is put two people in the same situation, and one seems to have the internal drive to so, find a way to rise above it, and the other just sinks under the weight of it. And the difference, I think, is what their understanding is and the purpose of. It's, and, and, and they're just going to continue to make decisions like, like the women on Dr. Phil that are going to continue to try and make the catfish thing real. Because otherwise they're going to look really stupid if they don't. But I'm really in love and I don't want to give up the idea of being in love with this handsome stranger. He's just stuck in Nigeria.
1: One thing that I have found through the years is when you go through the steps of repentance, the first one is recognizing you did wrong. That is the hardest step yeah. for most people. And I think by them bringing we have a perfect knowledge I think that when that perfect knowledge comes to them, I think that's when a lot of people will realize
0: yeah. the true death right. of what they've done and then that's the torment. So where is our, where is our agency really exercised? In this life or the next? No.
6: Right
0: here, and, I, and, and I'm not going to say a blanket statement but I'm going to say for an awful lot of people, I think you guys agree with me on this, for an awful lot of people their ability, once that body with all the DNA abnormalities and the traditions and experience and everything is finally laid in the grave and we're separated from that, that might be the first time that we begin to understand things. There, there was a belief and, it, and it, it's not even ours, guys. This was like the turn of the century in 19. And I can even probably tell you the, the Christian preachers that were preaching it who said basically, well, death is just like stepping from one room into the next. You, you've, you've never heard this at a funeral, I know. <laughs> death is like, we're here, and the exact same person that's here steps into a room, and they're exactly the same. Okay? Oh, heck no. <laughs> Oh, heck no. Because, again, if we look at all of the things that impinge on us in this life, there is a certain amount of DNA stuff that we know that you're going to leave behind when you get to the other side. Now, how long it takes to suddenly begin to separate yourself from all those stuff, I don't know. I just know that you're not going to be the same person. Joseph F. Smith said you're not the same person. You love greater there than you do here. Well, to do that, you've got to strip away some things. So, I'm
5: uncomfortable with your use of the term this life.
0: Yeah. I
5: think you should be using the term mortality.
0: Yeah. Because the scripture
5: defines this life yes. as the time to prepare to meet God, which includes birth
0: until
5: the resurrection, both mortality and the spirit world.
0: Absolutely believe that. Now, did yeah, yeah, and, pre- and throw the pre-existence into this. Okay, now, did Alma believe that? Yes. Don't know. No.
5: He's the one who said this life is the time to prepare me God. That's
0: right. And, it, and we're going to assume that means this life means all the way to the resurrection. We don't know whether Alma believed that. I, I, I hope he did. But I would say that 99% of the people that sit and read the Book of Mormon, they're struggling. I'm having a hard day. My kids left the church, and they open up Alma, and he goes, This is the life. This is the time to prepare to meet God. And they go, oh, I'm going to lose these kids. Oh.
4: Mortality.
0: Mortali- they think mortality. I, you know, because he's not clarifying in there. Yeah. How can preexistence not come into to provide these assignments up there without oh, really knowing Okay, well, hold on here. <laughs> <laughs> Alma 13, always been an interesting thing, okay? When we talk about agency, Alma thirteen three. This is, the, this, okay,
4: you have to, is
0: it all right? Yeah, but you can't see the, all of it. right? Okay. Thank you, Roz. It's a little fuzzy now, isn't it? A or B? C or D? Okay. D. You always worry about that in the eye exams. It's like, I'm going to get it wrong. And they will grind the lens to the wrong thing. Just as the car is hurtling towards you, you're going to go, ah. anyway. This is the manner after which priests were ordained, being called and prepared from the foundation of the world, according to the foreknowledge of God, on account of their exceeding faith and good works. Exceeding faith and good works, where? In the first place. In the preexistence. In the pre-existence. Being left to choose good and evil. Where? In the, second place. In the pre-existence. Oh. We had to have an ability to choose even in the pre-existence it, it had to be viable options. Right. Okay? We wouldn't have taken sides. No, we wouldn't have if it's like, okay, Satan is this dark, really bad guy over here and here's God in all of his glory. Everybody goes, I'll take that guy. I just don't think it's got to be a viable thing right okay now but was but but remember, so some people including us may you ready for this I don't want to take testimony I think we made mistakes in the pre-existence it wasn't like ah! we just did all the good stuff okay we had to have the ability to choose which means we had the ability to make mistakes even in the pre-existence yeah. okay does the Lord prepare for that okay watch what he says Therefore, they finally, having chosen good and exercising exceeding great faith, are called with a holy calling, with the holy calling which was prepared for according to the what? Preparatory redemption. Where was the atonement active? <laughs> In the pre Isn't that cool? In other words, we had the ability to make wrong choices, and even then there was the power of a Savior to come who would then pull us out of that, re-educate us, help us repent, turn around and, and come out of that. Okay, We made mistakes there, and here we are still making mistakes, and we still have a Savior to guide and direct us. Yeah. So I, I think
5: of that experience in that time period as much like the first seven years of life in this life. Kids make choices and they make mistakes, but that's not necessarily a sin because they're not under the law until they reach the age of accountability. And I think in the pre earth life, we got caught a whole bunch of things, but they weren't things that were imposed upon us as laws. We made choices, we made mistakes. But then he came, finally came to one point and he says, okay, now now you now you have to choose. Yeah. And this time there's gotta be accountability. You need to choose the father's plan
0: There there was a moment somewhere in there, right? Jumping off. There, there
5: was, and and then he commanded us to choose his plan, and he said there will be consequences if you don't. Yeah. This
0: time, you think about your kids. How many times do your kids make mistakes? How many times, as they're growing up and they do dumb things? Corey, he did. He's thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) How many of those decisions were fatal? In which you said, as of this day, if you ever make another if you make a mistake right now, you will never be allowed in my house ever again, no matter what else you do. In this life, I don't know about preexistence, but I think in this, think about this life. And I think when we talk about the final judgment, when, when President Uchtdorf talks about this being a day of joy and rejoicing. That doesn't sound a lot like a bunch of people failing at the bar and then being hauled off in chains forever. It just says, yeah, I had some final exams in college, and then I took another course. (laughs) (laughs) Oftentimes, that final exam was, how much do you know to this point? If you know it, then you move on to the next course. If you don't know it, maybe you have to go back and retake the thing. I'm going to retake another final. This time I learned it. This time I move on. So there is some sense in which this was happening in the preexistence. Okay, We're learning. We're growing. And sometimes we make mistakes that put us out of God's presence. And then the Savior works with us. And then he pulls us forward. Yeah.
1: It just amazes me how constant Jesus' redemption is pre-earth life, now and in the next life. It's just, he's constantly redeeming us. Constantly. Can you imagine that being your calling, like, for the
2: gajillions of people that have been
1: born? <laughs> like, you're constantly forgiving, you're constantly loving your
0: They family. did it again. It's they did it again. It's just incredible. She still thinks that, that catfish is real in <laughs> right? Nigeria, right? <laughs> I can't believe that. Okay, away. so so look at... So, so I, look, look, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well this, uh, this is a little bit
4: different, but... Uh, throwing this this into the mix, I, I've always been bothered by the thinking about inexperienced missionaries d- uh, wiping the dust off their feet to a town or condemning people. You know, it's
1: just like, I mean, this is, and this is forever. They're
0: going to be uh, t- t- Talking to the prospective missionaries last night was kind of fun because we talked about how, we talking a little bit about how Sometimes they make sin a crime and they can never come back from it. It's like, no, it's, it's, a, it's a wounding and let's help you move forward, stuff like that. But we were laughing about the fact that some of them, they're afraid to go out on missions because they're going to go out and say the wrong thing or answer the wrong question wrong and their investigators going to hell because they screwed up as a missionary. <laughs> uh, I won't know what to say and because of that, they'll never accept the gospel ever again. And we're trying to make those... anyway. All right. Well, I know, and, and I remember as a missionary uh, banging on doors, you know, and I catch them right at five o'clock in the afternoon, and they're cooking dinner, and I'm going, hi, my companion and I are from the church, and they, and they shut the door, and I think, well, that was your chance. <laughs> but you chose dinner over the kingdom of God. Wow. They'll never have another chance. The Savior's representative was knocking on your door, and you were making fish and chips. Okay, so so l- l- let me finish. Let me finish with this because I think this is so great. So so here here's Jacob. He gives this great exposition, and he's and he's unlocking this thing that we don't have in the scriptures. Not even Nephi went into this kind of depth about saying. Hell has an exit, and people get to escape, and God will come and work with you and and tell, okay? And then he says, and oh, by the way, and it's one of the things we were just talking about. So last night, (laughs) he goes, I, Jacob, speak unto you again. Next morning, so this is the Sunday morning session, of conference, um, (laughs) my beloved brethren, concerning this branch and these promises were obtained, and many children shall perish. Then look at verse 3. This is the moment he goes from Old Testament Messiah to here comes New Testament. And he says, Wherefore, as I said unto you that last night, it must be expedient that Christ, oh, yes, for in the last night the angel spake unto me that this should be his name. Wow. Now, by the way, that same conversation is going to have to take place with King Benjamin. He didn't know his name. It was lost in the apostasy. They lose all of this stuff in the apostasy. But it was had in, in 500 B.C., right? Last night the angel spake unto me, this should be his name. Should come among the Jews. Those who are the more wicked part of the world. They will crucify him for the mighty miracles that we, we wrought. They're going to repent. They're going to crucify him. He's going to go through all of that. And then... Wherefore, for this cause that my covenants may be fulfilled that I have made unto the children of men I will do them while they are in the flesh I must needs destroy the secret works of darkness and murders and abominations and then he's going to go on to then uh, and then let me leave with this and now my beloved brethren see that the merciful God has given us Nephites okay, concerning these things let us remember him and lay aside our sins and hang and ha- and not hang down our heads, for we are not cast off, even though we screw up. Nevertheless, we've been driven out of the land of our inheritance. We've been led to a better land, that the Lord has made the sea our path. We are on an isle of the sea. Um, and then 24, wherefore, my beloved brethren, reconcile yourselves to the will of God. Join yourself, and not to the will of the devil. And remember that after you are reconciled unto God... It is only in and through the grace of God that you're finally saved. And that reconciling will happen for those that understand in this life are able to do that. But for many that make mistakes and end up in hell, that's when they're reconciled because that's where they're finally taught. And that's when they finally understand. And that's the moment they can truly exercise their agency when now they can feel both sides and then they can make the proper decisions. Okay. Isn't that cool? I just think it, it, it's, it's a, an amazing process. And then, and we'll finish with this. The, the, then the rest of 2 Nephi, and we'll, we'll see how much we touch on this next week. The rest of 2 Nephi, as we wade through Isaiah, boom, we're swimming through Isaiah, through the, is saying, this will happen to you individually. Then he's going to say, Israel itself, Isaiah is saying, we're going to liken our individual experience to Israel. And Israel itself will sin. They will be scattered, just like we will be individually. They will sin, they will be scattered, and then what will happen? The Gentiles will carry them on their shoulders, and they will be restored back. They will be reconciled to the land of Israel. So the the pattern exists for people, but it also extends to nations. Nations can sin. Nations can be scattered, and then nations can be reclaimed. And I have made a covenant that I will bring my people home, but I will bring you home individually as well. That's that's where he's going with it. that, That, to me, is the whole message of the Book of Mormon, is that we can be reconciled and returned to God, even when we do stupids. He will come get us and bring us home. So I bear my testimony that there's such great power in here and, and that Jacob really kind of has his, his arms around it. And especially when we start talking about the book of Jacob, we'll see it, how he then likens that to his people. And I bear that testimony to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.